Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. So, all right, but for this month, we are going to spend all four Sundays. It's kind of a downshift month for us as we get into kind of the, the, the new semester, coming out of summer studies, gearing up for DNA groups, this kind of stuff. We're going to spend this entire month just asking the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel and why does it matter what the gospel is? And so for some of you, I'm guessing even in saying that, you're like, ah, check, done that. But I'm going to ask you to stick with us for the next few weeks because because it's possible that we get part of the gospel. Or maybe, maybe this is just me, it's possible that we know it, but forget it sometimes. Or know it, but don't get why it matters. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if any of that resonates with you, that's, that's where we're going to camp out on for the next few weeks. And so there's no better place to kick off a month of considering the gospel than just to ask, what is the raw and honest gospel? A lot of Christians think we understand it. We might not fully get it. Maybe you know the gospel is the foundation for the Christian life, but it feels so basic or you've heard it so many times that you don't know how it impacts your daily life. Maybe we just kind of assume it or or put it on a shelf over here. We don't know how to talk about it with Christian friends. We definitely don't know how to talk about it with, with unbelieving friends. Does this resonate with anyone? And yet the Apostle Paul says that the gospel is of first importance. And it doesn't mean first and then everything else gets to be kind of added in and first gets replaced. It's of first importance, meaning it is always the very heartbeat of the Christian faith. But, and, and I would submit, especially in our culture, the word gospel is so overused that it can kind of mean everything and nothing. Or it's so, so, it's so talked about, the gospel this, the gospel that, it's attached to different things that we can kind of ignore it. And so we just want to have a conversation this, this month with, with kids and with grownups here and, and, and think and talk about the gospel. So I'm going to ask you a question. Talk back to me for a minute. When you hear the word gospel, what comes to mind? What images, what word associations, definitions? What do you think of when you hear the word gospel? Talk to me. Good news. That was unified across the room. That's unity in the spirit. That's what we call that. That's literally what the gospel means. The gospel means the translation is good news. So yeah, what else? It's a kind of music, gospel music. What else? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then some others that didn't make the Bible. Yeah. What else? It's all about Jesus. It's freedom from fear. Good. The Bible tells the story of the Gospel. Great. We don't have to be perfect because of the Gospel. We don't have to be perfect. If someone were to say to you, what is the gospel? What, what would you respond? And again, I assume we have some things going on in our minds, but very often the, the way that our culture defines the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was raised to God. Thank you. She mentioned Jesus for the record. Somebody else did over here too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good news of, of Jesus dying. Why? For us and being raised to God. A lot of times in our culture, the gospel is Jesus died for your sins. So that, what? You don't go to hell. You'll go to heaven one day. Now, now, 
Is that the truth of the gospel? Yes. Is the gospel good news? Is it Jesus' resurrection? Yes. All the things you said, like these are aspects of the gospel, and we want to say praise God for those things. But I want to submit that in, in, in our little church and in, in other churches and in the minds and hearts of Christians, a lot of folks are, are, are in one of three places as it, as it relates to the gospel. First, there are people, even in a very religious culture like Fort Worth, there are people who don't know the gospel or who know it and don't believe it. Second, there are people who know and believe the gospel, but it's some form of distorted gospel. It's not the gospel as God defines the gospel. Or, or there's, there's some of us who know what I'm going to call two-thirds of the gospel. And as disciples of Jesus, the core of our faith, the core of our lives relies on getting the whole gospel. The core of our faith and lives relies on getting the gospel because the gospel impacts our relationships, the situations we face, our everyday lives. And so tonight we're going to look at God's definition and see the whole gospel. So again, there's a few different places that some folks come into this conversation with. One, some people don't know, don't believe the gospel. And, and if that's you, or if God's bringing to mind someone that you know, a family member, a friend, this kind of stuff, then, the, then I want to say I'm honored that you're here and honored that you're even participating in this kind of a community because we are centered around the gospel. And if you have a friend or an unbelieving neighbor or, or a family member, this kind of stuff, you have the honor of, of potentially being used by God to share the good news, because the gospel is good news, with them. This is, if you don't know the gospel, if you don't believe the gospel, this, what we're talking about this month, is the core of Christianity. There's a lot of things that get labeled Christian. There's a lot of distortions of Christianity, but, but getting the gospel is what makes us Christian. So if you're here and you don't know it, this at least gives you something to consider, or if you don't believe it. Second, again, some of us believe a version of the gospel, but it's become distorted. There's a few kind of common distortions of the gospel out there. One's called the prosperity gospel. Okay, you might have heard of this. You may believe some of this. The, the prosperity gospel says that at his core, what God wants most for you is for you to be healthy, for you to be happy, for you to be prosperous in this life now. And, and, and I want to submit with, with caution here, but I want to submit that, that if this is true, then our view of God is like a clown at a fair whose whole goal is to make me happy. And so we just go back to the clown. We just go back to God and say, give me another balloon. Give me another balloon. Make me happy. Keep me satisfied. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. It's a version of the prosperity gospel. God exists to make me happy. Some of us believe a, a works-based gospel, which is to say Jesus plus something makes God love me. Jesus plus rules that I follow. Jesus plus certain acts of obedience. If I do this, God will love me more. If I don't do this, God will love me less. In the New Testament, this was some people's view of circumcision. You had to have Jesus plus be circumcised. Praise God, that's not the case anymore as much that people believe. A version for me of that, when I was in high school, we had a traveling evangelist come to, to, to my town. I say town. I grew up in a very small town, Texas, in Weatherford, a very smaller version of Weatherford. And a little traveling evangelist came to our little town and told us to burn all of our books and CDs. Not just the non-Christian books and CDs. We had to burn all of them because music was of the devil. So you know what we all did? We all literally burned our CDs so we'd have backup copies. And then we took the CDs 
and burned our CDs. So we, we did both. But honestly, I think about that every now and then because, man, isn't that how a lot of us treat the workspace gospel? It's like, oh, I'll do what looks like it's, I'll, I'll bring them to the fire, but guess what I've already done? I've, I've, I've saved them over here. I've kept them. I've, I've, behind the scenes, I've done this. Kids CDs is what is now called Spotify. If that's our view, Jesus plus something else, then somehow that'd be like the, the clown at the fair, but the clown makes us work for the balloon. I'll give you something, but you have to perform. I'll give you something, but you have to. And man, that's just, I mean, crown, clowns are creepy anyway, but that's, that's a creepy image. There's this, this idea of legalism, which again, these are common terms maybe some of you have heard, but, but this legalistic thing says that there's all these rules we have to follow. And there, there's no biblical basis for the prosperity gospel. There's no biblical basis for the workspace gospel, for the, the gospel of legalism. And you may have heard these terms and you're like, yeah, I know. I've, I've been a Christian for days, months, years. I, I know these terms. There's no way I would believe some distortion of the gospel like that. But let's be honest together for a moment. When you face some sort of trial, when you're walking through something you don't like, have you ever, do we ever slip into a little bit of a version of the prosperity gospel? Yes, you're right. We all do. Yeah, we're like, God, don't you want me to be happy? Don't you want me to have more? Why, why would you do this to me? Don't, don't we believe a little bit of the prosperity gospel at times? Or whether it's kids are about to go back to school, if you haven't studied quite as well for a test, you ever bargain with God, God, if you just do this for me, then I will fill in the blank. Or for some of us who aren't in school, but some other version of that, God, I'm so sorry I did this again. Can I do X, Y, Z and work it off? Or can I stop doing X, Y, Z to get back in your good graces? Anyone ever had a thought like that? You don't have to raise your hand. The honest kid in the room are saying yes for you. That, that's a version of the workspace gospel. I know Jesus did this for me, but there are times when I have to fill in the blank. I have to do this, stop doing this. Those are false gospels. And, and here's what I want to submit. Like, it's very seldom that we go, yes, you know what? I'm all about prosperity now. I'm, I'm all about works-based things. That's, that's not how it works. Instead, it's almost like, follow me for a minute, it's almost like the same deceiver that met Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 who didn't walk up to them and say, hey, you should disobey God. And they were like, oh, sounds good. No, that's not how he got them. He instead said, well, did God really say this? Does, is God really as good as he says he is? Does God really give you what God says he's going to give you? And when we slip into these distortions of the gospel, it's rarely overt. It's this subtle, deceived heart, deceived mind that makes us just go one, one, one little degree off, one little degree off, one little degree off. Is that fair? We can get sucked in to these distorted gospels. But I really want to camp out on this third place that many of us find ourselves. It's kind of our big claim for tonight. We're going to have kind of a big claim every week. And I want to claim that many followers of Jesus believe what I'm going to call sort of tongue-in-cheek. We believe two-thirds of the gospel. We believe two-thirds of the gospel. I want to submit this is probably the most common view of the gospel. If someone says, what do Christians believe about the gospel? Most Christians across the U.S. in the Western world in our day-to-day -day believe what I'm going to call two-thirds of the gospel. 
We may know this. We may hold it. This may be the gospel we speak. And I want to submit there's a potential danger in only believing two-thirds of the gospel. So in Romans, which Bethany read for us, I want to show us kind of the whole three-thirds gospel. So what is the gospel? It is first and foremost a past reality. The gospel is a past reality. This is what Paul writes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, so this is the first kind of view of the gospel that we have to get. The gospel is of God. We said the gospel is good news. Someone else said afterwards, it's, it's the good news of Jesus. The gospel is the gospel of God. It's the good news of who God is and what God has done for us. What's he done for us? He's given us salvation. From what? Jump down to verse 18 for me. Third to the last line, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Not just men. It's universal. Sorry, ladies. In the gospel, God saves us from our unrighteousness. God saves us from ourselves. God, throughout the scriptures, claims to be the one right king, the one true Lord. Jesus comes and he says, I'm I am grace and truth. The gospel, Jesus says, is the answer to every need we have. We know that God pursues his people. But what do we do as humans? We reject that God of grace and truth. And we reject his pursuit. And we reject his kingship and lordship. And if you continued reading in Romans 1, you'll see images that we worship instead and impurity that we chase after. And and putting the creature over the creator. This is, this is called idolatry. This is, this is lesser gods, false gods. Many of us, if we were to say, what do we worship most and pursue most? It's going to be the answer, me. It's myself. And if God is the one true Lord, the one true king worthy of his throne, then, then that's an act of treason. When you put some other God on the throne of the one true king. And so God saves us from wrath and destruction. That's, that's the first third of the gospel. It's to say that Jesus came in the past, historically, something that followers of Jesus believe, 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus walked the face of the earth as a literal man, died a literal death, rose a literal resurrection, and ascended to the Father. A past reality. But, but I also want to submit that that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, it's also a personal past reality. There is a moment where, to use some biblical language, you went from darkness to light. You went from death into life. Maybe you know that moment specifically. Maybe it was a series of moments over time. But, but if you've put your faith in Jesus, there was a time when you didn't put your faith in Jesus, and then there was a time when you did. The first third of the gospel is that it's a past reality, historical past and personal past. That makes sense? God saved you. God the Father sent his son who died for your sin and rose and ascended. And we need to hear this. The gospel is a past reality. Don't hear me trying to throw this part out by saying you got to believe this instead of this. It's no, no, no. This, this is true. This is what we believe. God was wrathful toward unrighteousness, but by his power, in his will, God saved you if you believe, 
from the penalty of sin. Again, most followers of Jesus in our culture would know this. What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died for my sin. Past reality of the gospel. And also, these verses in talking about God revealing wrath toward ungodliness and unrighteousness help us see the next third of the gospel. Because during this life, God's wrath is usually what we call passive wrath. God, God lets us pursue the things we want to pursue. Sometimes he lets us pursue it to show us how lacking it is. Anyone ever had one of those? I want this person, this job, this addiction, this whatever it may be. And God brings you to the bottom and says, hey, turns out that thing you thought would replace me really well doesn't actually replace me. God gives us what we want sometimes. But the fullness of God's wrath isn't shown in this life. The fullness of God's wrath is one day against all unrighteousness, ungodliness we just read, when he says, hey, if you want to be separate from me in this life, I'll, I'll let you be separate from me in the life to come. I'll, I'll let you live in separation from me. I'll let you pursue eternal death. And we've spent the, the, the spring talking about this. What are some realities of heaven and hell? And, and this is the lake of fire, and this is not a popular thing to talk about. But it's equally an objective and biblical reality because the good news can't sound that good unless it's also compared to some really bad news. And, and so the gospel means that Jesus took that wrath from you so that you don't have to experience. So what are some things that you've heard, hey, because Jesus died for your sins, what are some of the things that you've heard you do, quote unquote, get or don't, quote unquote, have to face? Get forgiveness, don't face judgment. Is that good news? It's really good news. What else? Yeah, you're adopted into the family of God, which means you're not going to be separated from it. You have a family to come home to. As we think about eternity, a, a lot of evangelistic techniques rally around this point, which says if you put your faith in Jesus, you get to go to heaven. You get to be reconciled to God. Or maybe more on the evangelistic techniques, you don't have to burn in hell. You don't have to go to hell, right? Anyone heard these things, these truths? Again, they seem basic, not popular to talk about, but, but here's what I want to submit. It is true that the gospel is a historic past reality. It's also true that the gospel is a future reality. To say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, a lot of us believe that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, is a past reality that greatly benefits my future. Is that fair? Does not going to hell sound like a benefit? Yeah. Does being restored to God sound like a benefit? Yeah. Does heaven and all the new heavens and new earth and stuff that we talked about before, or excuse me, after Easter sound like a benefit? Yeah. And what do we, how do we get that? We get it through Jesus' death and resurrection. Again, this is, this is the message that a lot of followers of Jesus believe. Jesus did something and I get something out of it. The gospel is a past event that greatly benefits my future. Were you going to say something? He forgives our sins so that we don't have to be separated from. Is this the gospel? Is this true? Yes. 
Is this the gospel that if someone said to you, hey, define the gospel for me, is, is some version of this what you would say, that Jesus did this so that I one day don't have to do this or do get to do this? This is, this is the common definition of the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, so I get to go to heaven. For many followers of Jesus, something happened in the past that benefits my future. What's, what's the problem with that being the only truths of the gospel? Again, both sides are true. Praise God, not trying to minimize either one. But what's the problem if those are the only realities of the gospel? What about now? Turns out, unless you come to know Jesus as you take your last breath, there's at least a few moments, and for most of us, a few decades between the personal past realization and acceptance of what Jesus did and getting to be with him forever. What about now? And I want to submit that the three thirds of the gospel, the whole gospel, is that the gospel is a past event that does greatly benefit our future and also impacts every single aspect of our everyday present life. Don't raise your hand, but do you believe that? Do you believe that the gospel impacts every aspect of your everyday present life? The Bible talks about this. We just don't often see it. And so places like 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Is, is, hey, English folks, past, present, or future? Is past, present, or future? It's present. He is a new creation. We are new creations. The old has passed away, past, present, or future. Past, we're gearing up for school. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's what happened when Jesus lived, died, and rose. All this is from God, who through Christ did what? reconciled past tense. This is, this is the, the past reality reconciled to us, to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Church, past, present, or future, when do we live out the ministry of reconciliation? Present, present ongoing, if you want to be really technical. But yeah, it's, it's now. Like we can't live out the ministry of reconciliation in the past because we have today we, we will, again, the ongoing for the future, but, but, but in the eternal future, guess what? We won't have to live out a ministry of reconciliation because why? There'll be no division. There'll be no tears. There'll be no pain. The, the ministry of reconciliation is a present reality given to us by God because of our reconciliation, our past reconciliation in Christ. Or a different verse, by grace, you have been saved, past, present, or future past, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. Anyone heard those verses ever before? They're like some of the famous Christian verses, right? Anyone know the very next verse? If you know it, we say it out loud. This is a less famous Christian verse that happens one verse after these two. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. We are, present tense, his workmanship, created in the past by God, in Christ Jesus, for good works. Where, where are we going to carry out these good works? Present, which God prepared beforehand that we should, present tense, ongoing tense, walk in. There's these past, present, future realities of God's work and God's will laced throughout the Bible. But here's what I want to submit. 
if we only believe two-thirds of the gospel, that the, that the gospel's a past reality that greatly benefits my future, how do we live now? What power do we have to live out the good works that God prepared before us? What, what power do we have to carry out the ministry of reconciliation? In other words, if God only matters to us in the past and present, then, then who's responsible for every aspect of our everyday lives now? It's me. Does that sound tiring and wearying and lonely? I want to demonstrate what this can look like. I'm going to have a little fun with this today. Can we have a little fun? Are we allowed to do that in church gathering? I only have one elementary kid volunteer for me. Any elementary kids want to do something for me? We have Scout. Come up here. We have one junior high kid volunteer for me. Any junior high kids willing to? I know you've had a long day, junior high kids. All right, Con, oh, have an Arnett. Arnett family-friendly conversation. All right, Conley, come up. Let's have an adult Arnett come up. Kendrick, Jen, let's do it. All right, sounds good. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Give the Arnett's... <laughs> Dang it, this is the plan this way. This will be even more fun. Okay, someone tell me one command that the Bible gives us. God says, do this, don't do this. What's a command in the Bible? Love one another. All right. Don't eat the fruit of the tree. All right. We're going to save that one, but it's a good one. We've got too much Arnett things happening. All right. You want to do the love one another? All right. You love one another. What's another, what's another biblical command? Encourage one another. There you go, Conley. What's another one? What's a hard one? <laughs> it's another Arnett, but it's worth it. Obey your father and mother. All right. So here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to, with one hand, keep the balloon up. You can use the space over here if you need to. Just keep the balloon up from hitting the ground. Okay? No, sorry. See? Don't we do that with God's commands? Can't I just... Place. Okay, here, let's pause for a sec. Let's go right, right around over here because there's a microphone here, and I don't want you to accidentally... Oh, there you go. Okay. Can't just hold it, Kendrick. All right. So, this is utterly silly, but it's fun for just a sec. Okay? How long can you guys keep those up? Until you have to go to the bathroom, right? Okay, so something will happen that will make Kendrick and presumably his children as well be unable to keep that up or take the balloon in the bathroom, which nobody should be allowed to do, right? Okay. So, so Kendrick has the honor your father and mother command, okay? Has anyone with a parent proverbially tried to like just keep that command going by your own power for all of life? Oh, love one another. Aw. <laughs> All right, you can take a seat. <laughs> okay, so, so what, what happens if, if we're called to, to love one another and we have to do so by our own power? Last about five minutes. A proverbial gust of wind comes to take your balloon away. Someone might try to steal your balloon, in which case you don't want to love them after all, right? The same could be true of all of those. Was it easy or hard to keep one balloon going for a little bit? Pretty easy. How long do you think you could have done it? Hours. Hours on end. Anyone know how many commands there are in the Bible that God gives us? Just in the Old Testament, there are 613. So what if you had to keep like the, hey, you said you could do it. Come here. <clears throat> Love one another. Let's see the love one another and obey your parents' balloon. Okay? Okay? Yeah? Can you do it? What if we added a third? 
What if we added a third? <laughs> All right. Yeah, give the Arnaz a hand. And you get this, right? What we're doing here. What happens if it's on your own power to keep up 613 commands all the time, 365, 24-7? And again, that's just the Old Testament. Do you feel the weight of that just for a moment? Again, this is a silly picture, but, but it's a real picture because it's hard for us to do one, like pick one. And it's hard for us to do. And also just, I think sometimes like, how does this look to God? Not in like a shaming, like sarcastic God kind of way, but just like, man, you look tired. Okay, you're trying so hard. The reality of the gospel is that there's a better power and a better source to rely on. So God says, man, battle your sin. Anyone tried to battle your sin on your own? Even if it looks good outwardly, we know it goes on in our hearts and minds, right? Be holy. It's kind of a general all-encompassing one. Anyone tried that? What about forgive others? Well, that's easy. There's all these ways and all these ideas and all these contraptions. So we do the thing where we kind of ask, well, what if I do this, right? Or what if, what if I can just let it go for a little bit? Or sometimes we're just tired. Like, I just give up. Anyone do that with God's commands? We try and try and try and try and we're weary and tired because we only believe the gospel is past reality that greatly benefits my future. If the gospel is just A and Z, the start and the finish, and there's no present impact, then the Christian life is up to us and we get tired and weary and we give up or we go, maybe this isn't real. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I don't care anymore. Anyone had those moments? You don't have to raise your hand. But I want to hear the truth. God gives us no command and no promise without also giving us a helper to carry those commands out. But he asks us to look not to ourselves for our ability, but to look to him for our ability, to his ability. And so, yeah, the Christian life begins with God's grace through faith and the Christian life in eternity will end, the life on, 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 in this as we know, it will end by God's grace through faith. But what about right now? Let's go back to Romans 1. We skipped the middle verse. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, past tense, for faith, future tense, as it is written. Can we say it together? The righteous shall live by faith. Not just from, not just for. The righteous shall live by faith. Here's what I want to submit. We all live by faith in something. Is that fair? We live by faith in our ability to keep the balloons up. We live by faith in the government to do the right thing. We live by faith in a church, even, or a religious culture, or Judeo-Christian values. We live by faith in this person, that achievement, this job. We all live by faith in something. But here is the full three-thirds of the gospel. You don't have to, and you can't fulfill God's will and work in this life by your power. But in the gospel, God gives you a power from outside yourself to do everything that you can't do, to carry out a purpose you can't carry out, to fulfill 
every command and steward God's promises in a way that we can never do them on our own. And also then when we do fail, we don't have to hide away and we don't have to be ashamed because the past and future aspects of the gospel are just as true and they free us for this life as well. And so the gospel, hear me church, the gospel is Jesus died and rose. And the good news is Jesus promised you eternal life. Those things are true. And also the gospel is more than that. Because even the Bible says even everything that Jesus did, he lived out by the power of the spirit. He was raised by the power of the spirit. And he promises to send that same spirit into us so that we too can live by the power of the spirit. A promise from outside of us to enact God's will in us. The late Tim Keller said the gospel is God's work in us for God's work in the world. So if you want another picture of it, you know what it's like? It's like this. This is what God offers us. You don't have to do it alone. You can't do it alone. I've given you a helper. I've given you the power over sin when you can't have it. I've given you ability to be holy if you rely more and more on me. I've even given you the ability to forgive because you've been forgiven much. You believe that? Some of you, again, may be bored by this. It's too basic. Of course, we get the power and purpose of the gospel. I thought I did too, if I can be honest with you for a moment. I was raised in this religious culture, small town Texas. Again, burned all the CDs like I was supposed to, even though I had the ones that I wanted to keep. I was baptized when I was eight years old, lived a good life, Judeo-Christian values through high school. I was, started to work in a church when I was 18 years old as a youth pastor. I was too young, but I did. And two years into ministry, I realized that as much as I knew the words on the Bible and could teach kids the truths of God, I don't think I actually knew Jesus. So I was in church ministry for two years before Jesus actually changed my heart. For the record, that's not the order those things should naturally follow. And during those couple of years, I was living a little bit of a double life. I was convinced of two-thirds of the gospel. Jesus did something, and I get to go to heaven one day. And then I spent a lot of my first couple of years in ministry, and I've gone back and apologized to some of the students I could find, teaching them to do stuff that then I would go and do. Teaching them, excuse me, not to do stuff that then I would go and do. Because again, Judeo-Christian values. Jesus did this. I get this. Why does it matter now? And one day, walking across my university campus, the truth hit me like a ton of bricks that if Jesus is real, he matters to all of life. And that sounds so obvious. And maybe that sounds so obvious to you, but to 20-year-old me, it did not sound like anything I'd ever thought of before. He did this. I get this. Who cares about the rest? And then I went to seminary and I saw other classmates pursuing ministry come to know Jesus. And I've gotten to work in churches for 22 years now, 23 years, in this religious culture full of Judeo-Christian values, quote-unquote, and have seen dozens of people go, hey, this thing that I thought I knew because I could articulate it, I never actually knew it, but I know it. And God brings people from death to life, from the deceit and subtle lies and subtle ways we disbelieve into an overt relationship with him. So bottom line, and I offer just this as a cautionary tale, not as a condemnation or an accusation, but just learn, learn from my own 
life, just because we call ourselves a follower of Jesus and just because we're part of a church doesn't guarantee that we get the gospel. The gospel doesn't get old and boring. The gospel is not something we move away from. The gospel is of first importance. It is the very heartbeat of this thing you say you believe. The righteous will live by faith. The question is, in, what, in each decision, in leadership, in relationships, in conflicts, in family life, in private life, do you live by faith in you? Live by faith in something else? Or do you live by faith in the God who drew you into his salvation and life in the first place? That's the three-thirds gospel. That's the start of a conversation, which will continue next week. In all of life, the gospel is what Paul says it is. It's of first importance. It's also the core truth we remember and proclaim every time we celebrate communion. Just before Paul reminded us that the gospel is in first importance, he said this. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, Jesus broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, excuse me, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he returns. So here's the deal. If you believe that Jesus's death and resurrection changes everything, then God invites you to his family and God invites you to his table. And so we have crackers over here. They're always gluten-free, by the way, just if that matters. We need to say that every now and then. The crackers are all gluten-free. You can dip them in the juice or the wine and then eat them. You can go alone. You can go with family. You can go with someone sitting next to you. But here's the, the thing. The, the table is always open. If you believe that the gospel is a past event that greatly benefits your future and also impacts your present life, even if it's hard to know, even if it's hard to believe that at times, then there's nothing you have to do to be worthy of this table. You're invited. The table's open. So I say go when you're ready, but none of us are ever ready. So go. You're invited. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com.